And the clock starts. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We are glad you're here, and we got a great hour packed with great stuff. The Week in Review just around the corner. Also on the way, the value of an advisor. When we spend our money, we want value. It doesn't matter if you're buying socks, you're buying a car, or you're going to work with a financial advisor. You want value. We're going to talk about demonstrating that. Ask Annex is on the way. I want you to stick around for this. We The story of a 32-year-old who has a well, fairly significant amount of money. His friends are telling him to stop contributing to retirement. We'll see what our folks say about that. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer on the show today. Hey, Derek. Hi, Danny. Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Thank you, Danny. Indeed, it was packed full of information this week. We had a PPI report, which is the Producers Price Index. We had the CPI report on Thursday, which is the Consumer Price Index. And then on Friday, we got a retail sales report. And Derek, none of them were very good. No, I mean, both the PPI and the CPI were hotter than expected. The core rate up 6.6, well above the Fed's target of, of 2%. So the ex- expectation now is pretty certain that they're going to raise the Fed funds rate at least 75 basis points in November. And again, Derek, as you said, that is expected. But all of this certainly had some information inside of these reports that I found curious. One of the most was the retail sales report on Friday that showed that a lot of the strategic petroleum reserves being exported raises the GDP report. In other words, we had saw that the GDP was supposed to be positive in the third quarter, but if you take that out, it's flat. That means the first quarter was negative, the second quarter was negative, and the third quarter was flat at best. And that, of course, is a concern, especially when you start talking about what could happen in 2023 with a potential recession, and that's about a 50% probability. So a lot of information that is out there right now. The takeaway, of course, is that there is a bifurcation between what's happening in the stock market and what's happening in the economy currently. Right. I mean, typically the stock market sniffs out economic weakness six to nine months in advance. And you could argue that we're basically nine months off of the highs we made in early January. So that's one reason why you want to at least have somewhat of a glass is half full approach to investing. Uh, The second thing is what we're really trying to figure out is what is the impact going to be of this strong dollar slowing economic growth? on corporate earnings, and we're just beginning earnings season as we speak. And you think about what's happening with earnings, and we have been talking about this for a significant amount of time. If earnings have come down and price to earnings have come down, where is the fair market value? And we're trading at a number right now that some will argue is at fair value, but we had a rip-roaring trade on Thursday. They opened up down 500 points, flipped around, and ended up positive 800 points. That was a 1,300-point swing within the middle of the day, that could have been a technical trade. Well, and, and in, in actuality, it was only the fourth time in history that the S&P 500 at one point was down more than 2% on the day, and then was subsequently up more than 2% on the day. So a lot of people got caught short options and all sorts of other derivative strategies. And it does, you know, some of the technicians point to that as perhaps a selling climax, and that will, and we'll see. But, you know, the, the earnings reports that we got on Friday, I thought were pretty good. J.P. Morgan was a good number, United Healthcare, Wells Fargo. You know, we know about the Albertsons and uh, Kroger merger. And Delta, the airline company, also reported a good quarter. So the consumer still is in pretty good shape. And that's what people have to pay attention to, is that the earnings are the real story. And so I know there's a lot of effort and attention 
put towards the Dow Jones and the S&P 500. But once you start to break that apart, and remember, there's 11 sectors in there right now. Where does that money go and where is investment dollars going and where you should be positioned as we go into 2023? And that's why earnings season, which is really going to kick in next week, folks, is going to be something that we have to pay attention to. And one of the cliches is money follows earnings. You know, companies that generate earnings have high free cash flow yields, sustainable business models. They tend to be rewarded with higher multiples. And, you know, and we're still continuing to see the sell off and the very expensive technology names we're trading at more than 10 times revenues. That That's ongoing as interest rates rise. And I will point out that for the first time, the two year now hit 4.5%. Think about where we were just a year ago. Yeah. So 4.5% and the Fed funds future rate is suggested suggesting 4.75%. So that means it's got to go up a whole lot yet, folks. And so pay attention to that over the next few months as the Federal Reserve raises rates. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano is our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Dave, for those folks that are, uh, Derek mentioned, the glass half full. I'm kind of a glass half empty guy. I think it's a realist. If you were worried about things right now, Setting your mind at ease, I think, would help with a plan, seeing what people have, seeing how it's working, where the overlap is. At Mishmash, we've talked about for years. If you need that for investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning, we can help as a fee-only fiduciary. Fairly simple process. You can head to our website on a weekend. You click the Get Started button, and that begins the process. We learn more about you. You learn more about us, and we move forward. Now is the time. AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for Saturday, October 15th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Couple of reminders, sign up for the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter. Connect with us on social media, everything from LinkedIn to Facebook to Instagram, YouTube. There's lots of Annex Wealth Management produced videos there. Lots of learning, highly searchable. Our SWAT podcast, may I recommend that? You want to dig in deep on the way our investment committee thinks and operates. Check that out. That's on Annex Wealth Management Spotify every Monday morning, usually about 9 o'clock. And remember, this show is available on demand at the top of the hour on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer, is here. And the guy that said at the end of last segment, we got too much to talk about. Dave Spano, our president and CEO. Yeah, we really do. And let's try to talk about some things that we brought up in March and again in May of this year when we were just flabbergasted that the Federal Reserve continued to go out and buy mortgage-backed securities despite all of the evidence that inflation was heating up. We said if they don't do it, they're going to let it get too structural too sticky, and they're going to have a heck of a time because it will become stubborn. Well, guess what, folks? That's exactly where we are. So in my opinion, they've had not only one policy mistake in the fact that there was too much quantitative easing. Number two policy mistake, in my opinion, is that they waited too long to raise rates. And in my opinion, Derek, you know what I'm going to say. I think policy mistake number three is in front of us. Right. And, you know, I I sometimes find myself defending the Fed because they didn't know that the Biden administration was going to pass trillions of dollars in fiscal stimulus that was really not needed because the economy was already covering. And they also didn't know that Putin was going to invade the Ukraine, which caused grain and energy prices to go through the roof. So, you know, you have to 
be a little bit balanced. But the thing is, what most people are really focused on is their unwillingness, it seems, to look at leading indicators of right. inflation and not the rear view mirror st- static numbers like CPI and owner equivalent rent, which are dated. I mean, the, the owner equivalent rent number that they're looking at is three months old. And you know how they calculate that? They literally have people call households and say, how much would you rent your house for? Right. And they and they give them a number, right. and every and it's a random sample. It's not scientific by any stretch of the imagination. So you know, the Fed has this dual mandate: two jobs. One is price stability, which of course is trying to fight back inflation, and the second is full unemployment. But Congress gave that to the Federal Reserve in the late 1970s. Their only job back then was a single mandate, which was control inflation. Well, now they have these two mandates, which are at direct odds with each other right now because they're trying to fight inflation. And fighting inflation means raising rates because inflation hurts the middle class more than it hurts the wealthy class while they see their portfolios go down. And that's what we've talked about, that this Fed is clearly on the side of Main Street as opposed to Wall Street. I mean, people's houses have gone up a lot in value. Their stock portfolios have done really well. But in real terms, the middle class is suffering, earning negative real wages. And that's, that's a struggle. And while there were government redistribution policies during COVID, COVID, those bank accounts have been run dry. And frankly, people are just living paycheck to paycheck. And that's something the Fed is very concerned about. And they're concerned about it. And But it's going to get worse because, you know, they said that, you know, Powell said himself that there's going to be pain upcoming. Pain, what he means by that is they want to slow down wage inflation. How do you slow down wage inflation? By raising the unemployment rate. And that is what I'm talking about is having these dual mandates at direct odds because they actually want people to lose jobs. And I know that sounds uh, counterintuitive, but that's really where they're going with this. It's, it's called demand destruction. And, you know, ironically, you know, they're, they're trying to address inflation in that way because they, they know they can't control the price of oil. They can't control the price of wheat and corn. And so they're basically using their tools in order to, to facilitate that. The other thing they're doing is they're reducing their balance sheet, which is causing liquidity issues. We've already seen that. You know, when you pull a big buyer out of the market, you would tend to see long-term rates go higher, which is what we've tried to do, you know, in our fixed income portfolios, avoid interest rate risk. Although it's getting a little bit juicier now where I'm thinking that 60-40 portfolio ought to do a much better job for people. Derek Falski, our Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano, our President and CEO at Annex Wealth Management. Folks, we would love to be a tool for you. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. Open up the toolbox. Put us to work. We'll build a complete plan using the power of the entire Annex team. And you've heard plenty of those teammates. In fact, the rest of this hour is packed with them. Put us to work. Why not? Fill out that contact form. Click the Get Started button. This is the time Annex Wealth Management is ready. Value. We all want it. How about the value of an advisor? We're going to explain how we provide value to our clients next. That's on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Value. We all want value. It's human nature to want the best deal on goods or services. Might be a pizza, might be a car. Why not? Might as well be your financial plan. You've also heard the old adage, you get what you pay for. Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Danny. I like talking to you about this. When it comes to your investment and retirement plan, the value of an advisor is important, and it's important to us, and we want that for you, too. Russell Investments breaks down the value of an advisor by using simple letter codes, A, B, C, and T. 
A is for active rebalancing of investment portfolios. And Brandon, we talk about that a lot. Active is the key word. Yeah, and active is so important because it's not set it and forget it. It's not actively do it one time a year. It's when is their opportunity? Take advantage of what the market is getting you. What I mean by that is, so the market's up, take some of those gains, take them off the table, rebalance to areas that have underperformed. In in the long term, this benefits the long-term perspective of the portfolio. And actually what it does, the key here is it reduces volatility. So in a recent study, again, Russell Investments put together, you can see the reduction in volatility that the math that they've done actually brings it down about 0.51% in terms of standard deviation. I know that's getting kind of deep, but it's basically, it's reduced the volatility by actively rebalancing balancing. And when you have an investment team like Annex looking over it, that is a phenomenal way to help you reach your goals, which we'll eventually talk about when we get to B and C. Got it. The flip side is passive, right? Passive is set it and forget it or some but some things doing it? Some things Thing. doing it where there's it's more of it's just a time frame. Well, this is actively done. This isn't a time frame like we're going to do it on June 30th. This is when the opportunity arises, we take advantage and rebalance those portfolios. When talking about the value of an advisor, B stands for behavioral coaching. And coaching is a two-way street. That implies an engaged relationship on both sides. Correct. And this has actually been so prevalent in recent history, right? You go through the pandemic and all the things going on. Well, when we have an engaged relationship with our clients, we're talking to them not just about the markets, but we're talking about their plan. And the thing is, it's keeping them on pace. It's long-term, big picture. What are you looking at? How does it fit your plan? Again, statistics that Russell has pulled together is if you miss the best 51 days of the market because you pulled out because fear took over for you, well, you could miss an average return dropping of 1.34%. I mean, that's that's a drop just because of behavioral. So when you work with Annex as a team, we're looking long-term, right? What is the long-term impact? Well, it hurts now because the market's volatile and all those things going on. Long-term, how does it impact your plan? And that really leads to C. Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, talking about the value of an advisor. C stands for Customized Experience and Family Wealth Planning. That process, that's a journey. That's a journey that starts from the day we sit down, but it never ends. And that's what's key about it. So it's customized planning. No one family is the same. Every situation is different. So you're looking at a customized plan. Maybe you want to retire to another state. It's all variable. It's all different. So you have to have a custom plan. And that's part of that C where it's working together, building that plan. And the cost of planning, surprisingly, in the 80s, well, maybe not surprisingly, was lower, right? Because it was more of the brokerage side. It was just buying and selling. But now there's so much more to it. And it really leads to all the different things you put together, which is the last one, in my opinion, and probably one that people forget the most about. And that's T, Danny. There you go. What's the value of an advisor at Annex Wealth Management? We think that answer is a lot. Piece we saw from Russell Investments, T stands for tax smart investing. Big difference between tax preparation and tax planning. Yes, and that is key. I think we talk about that, and I actually I know we talk about that in every meeting here at Annex when we meet with somebody who first comes in the door. There's tax planning and there's tax prep. Tax prep is you know the compliance, looking backwards. Tax planning is saying, what do you own? 
What does that mean for your tax picture? Can we adjust that? Can that get better? Maybe it's because you have something that pays high capital gain distributions and that impacted your taxes last year. Well, let's look at that now. Overall, there's tax drag. We call it a tax drag on a portfolio because you might have an investment that has done really well, but because of the tax drag, because of all the capital gains that you don't really think about, but when you look at your 1040 come April, actually had an impact. Tax smart investing. Tax loss harvesting at the right time, watching how long you own something for, wash sales, all of those things are so important. And that's really the T. And there can be up to, they say 92 basis points or 0.92% of what you call tax drag sometimes on portfolios just because you weren't paying close attention. And when you partner with a firm like Annex, where we have a tax team, an investment team, it's so important to help that fit into C, customized approach be on the behavioral side and obviously the active rebalancing. I love that. When it gets down to it, think carefully about the value of a fee-only fiduciary. That's the key right there. A fee-only fiduciary who's working in your best interest at all times that has a team behind them, a team of experts in their given areas to make sure your plan is on track for the goals that you want to accomplish. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. That's how we do it, and we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start that wealth metric process. Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. Danny. Saturday, October 15th, quick break. We're going to be back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Time for news. Let's head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Back on Ask Annex, got a question for us. You head to our website, look for the Ask tab. Everybody gets an answer. Some wind up on the radio. Randy Winkler, CFP and Wealth Manager, is going to help us out. Hey, Randy. Hey, Danny. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager. She is also here. Hey. Hi, Danny. First one is anonymous. Am I wrong in thinking that one benefit of a bear market is that you hold shares in a mutual fund and you receive capital gains or short-term gains at a lower price, which results in more shares if you reinvest dividends? When the market reverses and starts to raise, you will gain more wealth because you own more shares than before the distribution. It's like purchasing more shares at a lower price. Well, I think you're on the right track with your thinking. When a mutual fund distributes capital gains and dividends, it reduces the fund's NAV, or the net asset value. So yes, when the NAV drops after the distribution is paid, shareholders who reinvest their distributions also receive more shares. In the short term, it increases the likelihood of higher future returns down the road, but obviously that's not guaranteed. Next up on Ask Annex, another anonymous question. My son is ending his search for a house and isn't sure what to do with the $40,000 he earmarked for a down payment. Any ideas? This question, we need a lot more information. Uh, is he planning on buying a house a year later? If so, you probably want to keep it in cash, maybe some high interest savings. Is he not going to be using this until retirement? We could put it into maybe fund a Roth. You could maybe fund an HSA if he's got a high deductible health care plan. Mm-hmm. Does he have any debt? You know, a lot of people overlook that if you're paying off 20% credit card debt. So there's a lot of things you could do to put this money to use, but we need to know what the what the goal for the money is. Yeah, and his time frame, right? Can exactly. he afford to take a look, get a little more interest, but, you know, have it locked up for a little bit or, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on his liquidity needs too. Next question, also anonymous. I got a question regarding a TSP. My current split is 100% in an L2045 fund. I'm 61 years old, planning on working at least another five years. Was advised to move the allocation to a more conservative fund. What is the recommendation for that? I have about 90K in that fund, have been contributing about four years, have funds from a previous place of employment already invested with you. 
So a target date fund is going to get more conservative the closer you get to the date of the fund. So if you're planning on making withdrawals from the account when you retire in five years, it would make sense for you to use that 2030 fund. If you do not need to make withdrawals from the account until your required minimum distributions kick in at age 72, then you might want to stay with the longer dated target fund because you have longer time frame to withstand the volatility in the market and you will be better positioned for when we have a market recovery. And target date funds are nice if you're not getting guidance. So I would say talk to your wealth manager. They could run the investment options that you have past our investment management team, and maybe Mm -hmm. there's something better that could be done outside of the target date fund. But they're not bad if that's all that you have. Next up from Stephen, I inherited two accounts from my dad when he passed away earlier this year, an IRA, about $22,000, and a Roth IRA, about $39,000. I would like to look into cashing one or both of them out, but how can I find out what the tax implications are for each? Yeah, this is a good question, and it's a good time to ask it now rather than after you've make, made the withdrawal. The Roth IRA, you're typically going to get at that money without tax implications. You are giving up years of tax-deferred or tax-free growth. You'll have to take that money out within 10 years of inheriting the money under the new rules. But you could get at that, to answer the question specifically, you could get at that tax-free. Now, the IRA, I'd be a little bit more careful on because that's going to get taxed onto your income. Typically, when you're inheriting money, you might be in your 50s, 60s, you could be in your your, your highest earning years, you might be in a very high tax bracket. This would get thrown right on top of that. You're going to be giving up 22, 24, 32% of that money to taxes. Here's one I found on the internet, and I was fascinated by it, so I want to share it and get your opinion, guys. I'm 32 and have $250,000 in retirement, Roth IRA and traditional 401k. Few friends have been telling me that I'm contributing too much since I max out both contributions each year. I'm not doing a mega backdoor Roth, although it's available to me. They pointed out that if I stop contributing, I'll still have three or four million by the time I retire, rule of 72. Is this true? I can't imagine needing more than $4 million in my late 60s. Well, I guess to get to that figure, you have to decide what annual rate of return you're using. So the rule of 72 is you take 72 and divide it by the annual return. Let's just say, for example, if it's we use the rule of 72 and we figure a 6% annual return, your account would double every 12 years. So doing simple math, the rule would suggest by the time you are 68 years old, you would have $2 million because you would have three doubles in there. Your current account value today is 250 and you're at age 32, it would be 500 at age 44, 1 million at age 56, and then 2 million at age 68. Yeah, the other thing to take into account here is where you really want to have a financial plan because we see situations like this quite often and somebody's planning on retiring at, say, 68, and we plug it in and say, hey, you could be done at 55. I wouldn't say stop saving, but you might want to redirect those savings. So if you could retire prior to 59 and a half, maybe you don't put it in the Roth or the 401k. You start funding an individual or a joint account, something that will be accessible without penalty if you retire a little bit early. But start with the financial plan and then mm-hmm. determine the investment strategy. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. That's Ask Annex. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, thank you. You bet. Randy Winkler, CFP and Wealth Manager, thank you. You're welcome. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. More to come. Please stick around. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Act 1, Scene 3, Hamlet from William Shakespeare. There's the line, To thine own self be true. 
good advice, but when it comes to money, it might be the opposite. We found a list of seven money lies we tell ourselves. Dan Phillips is Director of Client Learning Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. She is here to talk about them. Hey, Dan. Hello, Danny. I knew you knew that line. Uh, absolutely. Because why? <laughs> because that was my major in undergraduate. Still waters run deep. All they right. do. <laughs> All right. The first money lie we tell ourselves is, I'll be happier when I have X, X amount. Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm, right. So, you know, we're used to thinking in terms of end games, right? So it's logical to think that one might say, well, when I have X amount of dollars, I'll have made it. However, life isn't linear. Neither are Shakespeare plays. Neither are our finances. So expenses and cash flows don't come in and go out smoothly all the time. And we're aware of this. It's great to have those goals, those target numbers, but there isn't a magic number that equates to happiness. What's a lot for some isn't a lot of money for others. Just like people, finances are personal to someone's situation, lifestyle, health, and all that. If we rely on that special magic number, we're actually setting ourselves up for disappointment if we don't achieve it and then maintain this happiness, you know, from there on out. But, you know, here's the thing, though. When we make progress toward our goals, it scientifically is satisfying. So whether or not we hit that magic target, we need to make progress. I'm probably going to butcher it, but there's the famous Rockefeller line where they said, well, how much money do you want? And he said, one dollar more. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, okay. right. Money line number two, I deserve it regardless of whether I can afford it. Yep. As humans, we love to rationalize our behavior, justify our actions. And let's face it, we've all been through a lot. So with the stimulus that came, bonuses, it's easy to say, hey, I work hard. It's been tough. I deserve this expense. That's usually used to soothe the sting of expensive purchases, the things that aren't really essential. You know, one off, that's okay, but with frequency, that can derail a financial plan. Money line number three, more of a declaration. I have strong financial willpower. Uh huh, many of us think we do. So I say this show me your actual spending. I will show you what you value. Uh, Not my line, but a great one and very true. When was the last time that we really, really wanted something and we didn't get it? Even if it means we went back the next day and got it, right? That's just how we work. The average American spends at least a couple of $100 a month on impulse purchases. And when you add stress to that mix... Well, we're likely to spend even more. And that's probably why impulse spending shot up about 18% last year in 2020. Utilizing our phones and credit cards instead of cash, it makes it so easy. The average credit card shopper spends about 10% more with their cards than they would if they were actually pulling out their billfold and using cash. What's that old saying? You're spending money you don't have to buy things you don't, you don't need, need to impress people you, you don't, don't care like. about, right, <laughs> right? Or you don't okay. like, right, right. Dean Phillips is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management talking about seven months money lies that we tell ourselves. Number four, I'll save more later. Yeah, Danny. Okay, I'm going to show my age in this one, but you'll get this. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, right? right? Uh, Yeah, people buy now and they think they'll save later or they'll pay the piper later. This might be what we have left over and without any real savings goal, right? Um, Fewer than one in six of us are saving more than 15% of our income and one in five people aren't saving anything. It's important to give a nod to how important the future you is to be serious about having enough money in retirement. No one wants to dramatically cut their lifestyle when they retire. Speaking of the future, money line number five, I have plenty of time to plan for my financial future and I don't need to think about it yet. You know, so I have clients that come in and they say that this is their kiddo, right? Because they're so young. When we're young and we're facing those decades of work, even before retirement, 
it can seem so far away that there might be an urge to put it off, put off all that planning. This gives more room in our minds for excuses and to spend however we want now. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Benjamin Franklin. I say this all the time, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Moving through a list of seven money lies that we tell ourselves, number six, there's good and bad debt. And this is where it confuses me because I thought some debt is needed. So how bad is it? Yeah, so this one might be a money lie, but we really need to retool and rethink this. I say this all the time, Danny, we have to follow the math on this one. There's actually better debt when compared to factors like earnings, inflation, current economic circumstances. Let me give you an example. Many people have mortgage debt, right? And this is a great environment for low rates. People are refinancing into a two and three quarters, 3%, right? If an investment portfolio is making double that, and the mortgage debt is half that, well, that does look like smarter debt because the investments are doing better. So it's really about a comparison. Why why would you take money out of something that's growing and lock it up in your house just to have the house paid off? Now, there may be other reasons, and it goes back to your financial plan, but this really is mathematical as well as emotional. You need to explore both of those sides. We do tend to assign moral value to debt, And we have to remember, all debt does come with a cost. There's nothing for nothing, right? It's critical to understand how every loan affects our current and future selves. So focusing on that total cost of interest over time versus total earnings over time, that's what's important. Working through a list of seven money lies we tell ourselves, not trying to beat you up here because here's where I think it turns around. This is a lie. Wanting more is bad. It's not bad. No, it doesn't have to be. Ever hear of it's not having what you want, but wanting what you got. So while that's true, wanting more for yourself and loved ones isn't innately bad. What we don't want to do is trick our mind into telling ourselves that we'll just settle for less and let that affect our behavior, like saving less to justify our current spending to the detriment of our future self. This money lie holds us back, and it could be hard to improve our financial behaviors. But wanting more can be a positive motivator. Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Saturday, October 15th, quick break, but we're going to be back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We're back. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Just a quick reminder, if you came in late on the show, if you want to hear the whole thing again, that's no problem. This show will be on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel at the top of the hour. So join us for that. Also, the Axiom. Sign up for the Axiom free weekly newsletter. Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, really good with lots of topics that we produce. So highly searchable if you have questions. But if you ever have questions, folks, head to the website, either hit that Ask button or the Get Started button. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer in the studio. So is Dave Spano, our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, Jamie Dimon is a pretty well-known CEO of J.P. Morgan. And when he speaks, a lot of people listen to what he says. And he did make a number of notable comments last week. One of them is he thought that the S&P 500 could get to about 3,000. We're trading about 3,600 at the moment. So that's a significant downturn. But he did say that based on a number of inputs. One of the things that I, I thought is interesting is that if that happens, you have to think about how the composition of the S&P 500 is and what that makes up. If you think about the five largest constituents of the S&P 500, there is some value in his argument. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, and Alphabet are 22% of the market cap 
of the S&P 500, and they traded above average multiples relative to the rest of the S&P 500. In fact, if you take those stocks out, the S&P 500 is currently trading at 12 times forward earnings, which is well below average. So to the degree that one is invested in an index fund like the Spiders, SPY, um, they, they're getting a lot of that. You know, they're getting a lot of Apple and, and, and the rest. And um, a lot of people own this in, individually as well, Apple, Microsoft, and the rest. But what is interesting, and when you break down the sectors, Derek, and, you, you know, there's 11 sectors. We talk about them a lot, utilities and, and consumer cyclicals and so forth. Think about that compared to what energy is providing. Right. Energy is currently 5% of the S&P 500 uh, versus 16. 2% in 2008. And the other way to think about it is energy got kicked out of the Dow. So there isn't a single energy stock in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is kind of amazing to me. And so when we're going to this upcoming earnings season, the energy sector is actually going to produce twice as much earnings towards that S&P aggregate as it's weighting, which suggests in many cases that perhaps that weighting is going to have to migrate up over time in order to get to more of a fair value. And the other thing about the energy stocks in general is they pay higher dividends than we're currently seeing with the 10-year, whereas many other sectors, particularly in tech, offer much lower yield. They have yields. They have lower multiples. And what is really interesting is the fact that if you took some of those major companies that you mentioned, some of the top five largest constituents, and compare it to the energy sector, how does that look? Well, they look much, much, much more expensive. They are great companies. They do generate free cash flow. And as an example, in 2008, I mentioned energy was 16% of the S&P. Well, Apple at that time was 1.3% of the S&P. It's currently 7.4%. So in many ways, you could say Apple has benefited from the rise of passive investing because when people just pile money in to SPY, they're buying all 500 of those stocks, which tends to lead to a premium valuation for the largest weightings. And Apple is bigger than the entire energy sector together. That is just mind-boggling, where Apple makes up 7%. And the energy sector in aggregate makes up about 5%. And that is the reason why, folks, that looking through what you own is so important. You know, we talked about this all year long on the portfolio moves that you could make. We spent a lot of time talking about the equity side, but also the fixed income side. And let's do that in the last 30 seconds here. Well, the interesting thing about fixed income, at least to me, is, you know, at one point when treasuries were yielding, you know, half a percent on the tenure, you obviously didn't want to buy them because they weren't going to offer you any protection in the event of a market correction or slowing growth. But now that these yields have climbed, um, you know, there is a little bit more juice there. And so you're not taking as much interest rate risk buying a tenure when it's yielding 4% as you were when you're buying it at 0.5. So in actuality, what we've been doing with our portfolios is adding a little bit of duration. We're still below benchmark because we do believe rates will move higher in the near term. And then also looking at areas like high yield and bank loans where we get higher yields and, and less interest rate risk. So you can think of it almost as a barbell approach. Derek Falski, our Chief Investment Officer, thanks for the show this week. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, Dave, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, folks, uh, listen, if, if you've been listening listen to us today, and if you think that there's value here, there is a way that we can work together. Folks, if you're like most, you do research before you commit, and we're fine with that. Check us out. Ask friends and neighbors who might be clients. This is the invitation. Takes just a couple of minutes to start the conversation. Click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. It's the time. See you back here next Saturday, 10 o'clock. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management. Management Show, 620 WTMJ.